What's up, family? Thank you for tuning in to the Dream Nation podcast. My name is Casanova. I'll be your host, and I'm excited to be bringing to you entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and trailblazers from around the world. Stay locked in with us because we're about to go on a journey that will change your life. What's up, Dream Nation? Today on the line, we have an episode that I can tell you I have not been as excited for many episodes as I am for this one. And the reason being is because now we got an opportunity. It's it's almost like when you got a mentor from afar and somebody who inspired you to get in the game and who's kept you in the game. And now you get an opportunity to bring them onto your show. It's a lot of fun. So without further ado, Chris, you want to go ahead and say what's up to Dream Nation. Dream Nation, what's good? Thank you so much for having me on the program, man. I'm excited. I'll be looking forward to this as well. So thank you. Yeah, man, this is going to be a really fun one. And mm. I always like to make sure that I give the proper introduction. So mm. a lot of people are going to know who you are within a couple of minutes. But for those people who don't know you, you obviously you have the School of Side Hustle podcast. Mm-hmm. You have wrote multiple books. You've been on the biggest of stages and you've helped so many entrepreneurs, just like myself, at least mm. feel the confidence to go after their dreams. But I want to take it back because mm. I always like to think of entrepreneurs as just like superheroes. We're constantly putting on capes and we're flying around trying to solve other people's problems and other situations. But before all of the, you know, publications, the books, Mm -hmm. the podcasts, everything else, if we could take it back to when you were just a young boy, tell me who (laughs) is Chris Gilbo? Yeah. Well, I'm glad you, I'm glad you set it up like that because I feel like sometimes we look at people that it might be a little bit further down the road or something. And we're like, oh, it's cool that they did that, but I can't really connect with that. Or I can't relate to that myself and such. Uh, which is why I think your story is so powerful and, and, and motivational. But as for me, yeah, the, the young boy of Chris Gillibo, man, I don't, I, I don't know. I was a juvenile delinquent. I was dropped out of high school and, and you know, did a bunch of stuff and eventually kind of turned my life around a little bit. And in my early 20s, I, I was fortunate to spend several years living overseas in West Africa. And that was, just, that was a, just an amazing experience for me. And that kind of like set me on this foundation for a lot of stuff that came. So I was an aid worker there. And started traveling as, as part of that, both within Africa and then elsewhere around the world as well. And then at a certain point, I started writing about some of this. And, and I'd always worked for myself also because I wasn't good at working for other people. Basically, like I kind of learned that early on too. And so at a certain point, I was like, I need to write about some of this or at least share it in some fashion. And like, what's the, what's the best way to do this? Because you know nobody knows who I am. So I started a blog called The Art of Nonconformity. That was a little over, over 10 years ago. And just started, you know, sharing, here's my story of going to different parts of the world. And here's how I was able to start a business. And maybe here's some lessons people can learn from it. But it was very organic. You know, it, was, it wasn't like a strategy of like, here's how I'm going to build this thing like block by block. It was very much just about sharing stories and then eventually connecting with people. And then, you know, a lot of stuff happened after that. But I think it kind of goes back to like, where I, where I was, I was dissatisfied, wasn't happy with what I was doing, felt like there was something more out there, you know, et cetera. So for me, it's all like that, that discontent that led to everything that came later. Got it. And what made you feel like, because if you're a mission ships and you're in South Africa, you're, mm. you're providing so much value to mm. the world. At least you should feel like it because you know that you see how blessed you are, you know, coming from mm, the U S sure. and then going over there and, and all these other. So Talk to me about what made you dissatisfied. How did you recognize mm. that, like, listen, I still have a problem? <laughs> I still have a problem. I like that phrase. I think it was so I I'd figured out kind of how to work for myself a little bit. I wasn't doing like, you know, massive real estate deals like you, but I, I'd found a way to like sell stuff online with eBay and other online auctions and 
you know, basically found a way to sustain my lifestyle and not be in debt and not have to go, you know, work for the man or whatever. That's kind of how I thought about it when I was 20. And the discontent came from believing like there has to be more to that. Like, this is pretty cool that I can do this. Like, wow, I feel like so lucky. I feel like I have such, such privilege in this. So what, what am I going to give? Like, you know, great power, great responsibility, that whole kind of thing. And this was like after 9-11, I was a little bit depressed, like so many people were and at the time. And it was like, what can I do to, to give back? And so I heard about this organization, you know, in West Africa, and that's how that came to be. And I, I appreciate you saying like, you know, that I was giving value, like hopefully I was supporting the, the, the hospital work that they were doing there. But I think it's, it's always good to just point out that like I was, I was receiving a lot of value as well. You know, like for me, it was like, this yeah. is really opening my eyes to so many different things and giving me experiences that, that I will have, you know, with me for the rest of my life. So it's been a long time since then, but I still, you know, the memory is very, very clear. So I'm really grateful that I, you know, did that. I'm really glad I was able to do that. Yeah. And, and I appreciate you, you know, I guess showcasing that as well, because most people would be like, yeah, you know, I, I gave value, but I received yeah. a lot of value. Yeah, well, it's important. It's important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you said that you already started making a little bit of money online. Mm. And I think that's so relevant to today's mm. world yeah, because there's yeah. a lot of people that this is their post 9-11. They didn't really mm. yep. understand 9-11. That's right. And so now they're like, man, and they see that the opportunity on the internet is mm-hmm. there's never going to be a bigger one than right now. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. So how did you know what areas mm. to go into for somebody that's listening right now? Mm. Like, what do you recommend for them? If they're saying, listen, I'm in that exact feeling, but I don't yep. even know where to start. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's great. I think it's a, it's actually a very apt parallel to think back about that time and to kind of connect it to now, because now it's in a situation where a lot of people are feeling really anxious and, and worried and, and depressed. And like, they kind of realize that a lot of stuff is out of their control I think most of us go through life and I mean, you, I'm sure you can attest to this, but like most of us go through life, like thinking that we are in control of so much. Right. And then something happens that you realize, actually, I'm not in, there's a whole lot of stuff I'm not in control of, you know, right. And that's really hard. Like when I, when you first, when it first happens, it hits you like this ton of bricks. You're like, damn, I thought I was, I thought I, I, I had my own destiny or, you know, or whatever. But then, so then once you accept that, then you realize, okay, if there's a small amount of things within my control, whatever that is, you know, 1% or 2% or whatever the number is, what can I do for that? Right. And so for me at the time, if I go back, like it's actually quite similar to what I think people can do now. Like I started reselling. I started, it was like this new website called eBay had just come out right back in the day. And I started selling, you know, stuff from around my apartment and then I, I learned to pay attention to like online auctions, the closing prices of different stuff. And I was like, oh, here's what, here's what people are buying electronics and computer equipment and photography gear. And like, wonder if I could buy something at one price and sell it for a higher price. Yeah. Really, really basic business model. And the funny thing is, so like I wrote the new book, The Money Tree, and the main character in this book, he's going through a kind of a similar process of like feeling all this financial pressure and lots of student loan debt, like so many people have now. And he basically kind of does the same thing in terms of the reselling. So this is something that everybody can do, like especially, you know, Americans or anybody else in a, in a well-off country, even if you think of yourself as not well-off, you probably have some stuff in your apartment, in your house, your dorm room, wherever that you can sell. And, you know, to just be able to make a few hundred bucks, at least at first, it feels really good. And then it's also going to teach you this skill, like I said, of noticing other stuff, like what could you buy and then resell. And then it's not like you're going to be a professional reseller, you know, for the rest of your life. But this is a skill that can absolutely like lead to something else, you know, help you develop a service business, help you develop a product business of your own, uh, or just, you know, go into like importing products. And I mean, I think what you said about 
there's never been more of an opportunity. I think that's totally true. Uh, because back in the day when I was doing this, when I started, it was considered kind of weird. You know what I mean? Like people didn't understand, like, it was like this weird thing. Like, why don't you have a job? Like what's wrong with you? Or you're doing, you're doing this now until, until you can get a better job or something. And now I think even mainstream, you know, like people used to ask me in interviews, like mainstream journalists, they used to always say, but isn't this really risky to do this? And don't you think young people like want the security of a day job? And nobody's really asking me that anymore because they understand that there's actually not a lot of security in that day job. So right. fortunately now, you know, like I said, it's mainstream and it's so much more accessible. Yeah, man. And I love that you said that the last piece, which is there's not a lot of security in a job because mm. as I was talking to my team and as I look mm. at things in this world, we're always taking a gamble, right? We're mm. always taking a gamble on something, our spouses, yeah. the jobs, whatever. Like, And it's it's mutual ways, right? It's always mm-hmm. a gamble because you don't really know in the end how it's going to work out. Mm-hmm. You hope for the best and you think that you've prepared enough. But at yep. the end of the day, we have to bet on something always, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We got to, like a lot of people, they'll bet on Amazon, right? Or they'll bet yeah. on Apple if you can get an opportunity to work with those companies. Mm-hmm. But for those 5% of people that really yeah. have it in their heart, I would say, you got to be willing to bet on yourself. Yeah. Right. And that's what it sounded like you did. Like you took the opportunity and you said, I don't know where this is going to go, but I know that if I go back to another job, there's no security in that. Let me bet on myself. And then Mm. I'll learn these skills. I'll build these relationships and I'll be able to spot these opportunities. And so I love that you said that. And that's Mm. huge. Now, when you first started out, what was, a big challenge for you in the world of arbitraging, because that's really what it is, right? Like buying for low and then selling. Yeah, it was so basic. I mean, uh, if I think about what I was doing then, I don't know that there was a lot of challenge in it. It was all discovery. It was all like, I don't know how to do any of this stuff. I don't know how to copyright or I don't know how to like anything about marketing or, you know, photography, any of the stuff that you're supposed to do to like have a good, you know, online auction listing or whatever, but it didn't really matter, you know? And I, and for me, it was like, I mean, I remember when I started making $15 an hour because I was 19 and my previous job was like earning $8 an hour, you know, at FedEx in Memphis, Tennessee, like putting boxes on a truck and stuff. And I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing and I'm making twice as much money. And so if I can learn more, you know, then presumably I will do even better. And and honestly, like as powerful as it felt to like begin to start making money and eventually I made more than $15 an hour, you know, but it was also like the freedom that came with it and the freedom and the sense of possibility and the sense of like, Oh, I can structure my life the way I want to. If there's something that I want to do, you know, in the morning or in the afternoon, I don't have to think, how can I like work that out with my job or my boss, you know, right. or, or whatever, essentially. And something else that you, you said that made me think of like that good job that people think about, like, even if you are able to get that good job at Apple or Amazon or whatever, you know, assuming you're doing a good job for them, whatever salary you're being paid, like imagine it's a good salary, $100,000 a year, whatever the number is, they are obviously receiving a lot more value than that $100,000 because it's a good investment for them. So they are paying you whatever the amount is, and they are receiving probably three to five X, 10 X maybe in return. So the question is, what could you do for yourself, you know, to extract more of that, more of that value, even if you can't be as efficient as like earning 10 X or whatever, like there's something you can do to at least replicate that income. And then from there, you know, from there, it's like the sky's the limit. Got it. Now, is there one industry? Because there's people out there right now, they're saying, okay, mm. like, I, I think I could find things for lower and then sell it for higher. Mm. Is there one industry that you tell people at least over the last six months that you should be list- you should be looking into? Or is it all just they have to go off of their passion and, and what they, you know, love to do? 
I don't know if it's either of those two things. I think, um, you know, if you think about your passion, it's like, I don't know if that's always the right approach because when I was like selling stuff online, I was selling like Lego kits and I was selling like cigars and like fashion and stuff. And I didn't care. Like it was about the, it was like, what, what do people buy? You know, right. what people buy is what I'm passionate about selling. You know what I mean? Like for me, it was exciting to learn how this stuff works. Right. And so I think we can get hung up on thinking like, oh man, I really love X-Men comic books. You know, that's gotta be my market you know, maybe it does. But I think like, if you're learning all this stuff, there's so many other different directions to go. And I mean, ultimately, in life, you want to do something that you are excited about. Okay, like ultimately, in life, you are. But it's also a mistake, I think, to, to think too much about trends. Because if you're always like, what's hot, what's hot right now? What's hot right now? Well, I mean, we can have that conversation, we can say, okay, what's hot right now? Well, you got millions of people that are working from home for the first time, they've never done that before. So they're trying to figure that out. And like, there's room for like home office consultants, like at home exercise stuff, you know, Peloton is huge, right? Any kind of thing mm -hmm. that's helping people like live the life they used to have, but not, you know, be out and about and stuff. But the problem with thinking that way is like, that's not going to be like that forever. Right? right. So much more helpful to like develop this sense of observation of being able to look and say, what can I create? you know, that's not dependent on the outside world, what can I create that's actually going to have some value, you know, in the, in the long term? So you've got this, you know, powerful motivational story, you've also got some sales experience, you've got, I think it's really helpful for people to like, make an inventory of like all these things, you know, all these experiences I've had, the skills I, I've, I've acquired, you know, if, if you went to college or whatever education you had, whatever jobs you've had, like all these things together, they can lead to something, you know, they can lead to you help to you finding that business opportunity even if you have your job right now. Yeah, I love it. And so another thing and then why it ties in so beautifully is because you've been a pioneer in the podcasting world for mm. how many years now? I know we're just over 1,200 episodes on the School of yeah. Side Hustle, but how many years now? Well, I've done it every single day for the past 1,225 days or so. So I started January 1, 2017. So this is the, this is the going into the fourth year. Got, and, and so where did that idea come from? Because you're selling online now, you're making a little bit of money. So where is all of a sudden, was it, was it about, um, hey, I can see, you know, opportunity for monetization and podcasts? So what did that look like? Well, I mean, I had, I wasn't really like selling too much stuff online at that point. I mean, I've been an author, you know, for nine years and writing books and such. Yeah, I think for me, it was, it's some, I'm, I'm motivated to start projects. I'm motivated to like impact, you know, like try to have some, try to be helpful in some way. And so I thought this is a different medium. You know, I haven't tried this before. And then I also thought, well, I feel like I'm a little bit late to it, you know, which is always like, people always feel like they're late to stuff, you know, yeah. and that's, maybe that's another message is like, when I started my blog 10 years ago, I felt like I was late because I was like, man, everybody else has been doing this. And like this personal development space is like saturated, you know, and like, obviously I was able to like, you know, make it work. So the same with podcasting, but I also thought like so many podcasts out there, how am I going to stand out? So the way I decided to stand out was like, it's going to be 10 minutes a day, you know, 10 minute episodes, no interviews, no guests. I'm just going to teach for it. I'm going to tell different stories of people who are finding ways to make extra money without quitting their job. That's what they're all going to have in common. And I'm going to do it, you know, as I said, every single day. And so I made that commitment for the first year, 365. And then you know, like I wasn't sure I was going to be able to being able to find enough stories, you know, I was like, how's it going to work? I had the first seven episodes, you know, like outlined when I started. But fortunately, there's a lot of people out there doing this stuff. So had a lot of stories. And then we just kept it going since then. 
Got it. I love it. And at what point did you start? Because a lot of people right now are thinking they want to start a podcast and maybe they can figure out, you know, what their area, their lane, how they're going to be Mm. different, but they struggle with, okay, I got to get money because I got to get equipment. Mm. And yes, we know that there's ways you could do it at a very low cost, Mm -hmm. but monetization has become something that a lot of people are thinking like, look, Mm. I I can provide entertainment and education. Mm. So at what point did you start to monetize your podcast? And what does that look like that you tell other people when they say, Hey, Chris, I want to start a podcast and I want to make money from my podcast. Yeah. So I would say more than just thinking about podcasts, like, cause this could be anything. It could be your YouTube. It could be, you know, your blog. It could be some other format. It could be whatever medium is invented, you know, in the next week or two or month or, you know, so I think the bigger thing is audience. Like who is your audience? How are you trying to actually build an audience? Because you know, your audience can be with you, your community, let's say can be with you for years and years. Mm -hmm. And your community will adapt to new platforms just as you are adapting, you're learning new stuff, you know, I mean, one of the reasons why I finally started a podcast, because I'm I'm actually not an auditory learner myself, I don't learn a lot through through podcast, I don't listen to audiobooks that much myself. Mm. But finally, I realized, you know, it's not about me, right? It's about your audience, like it's about your community. You know, you might have community that like, if you don't like video, it doesn't matter if it, does your community like it, well, you should be doing it. Right. Mm-hmm. So if, uh, that's partly why I started that, that, that show. But so I, anyway, for 10 years, I've been like trying to build relationships one by one. Whenever I have a book out, I go, when I'm able to travel, at least I'm able to try to go to as many places as I can, uh, for the first book, this is not, I'm not trying to like dodge the question. I'm going to come back to it because it's, it's relevant for the first book. I went to all 50 States. I went to every province in Canada. I was like, dude, if there's four people in North Dakota who've ever heard of me, I'm going to meet those four people, you know, Hmm. like, (laughs) and so that's the attitude that I've had for 10 years is like, I want to show up wherever I can, you know, like you have a big show, you have a big platform, but for a long time, I have to be a little bit more selective now, but for a long time, if somebody wrote me and said, I've got a podcast with two listeners, you know, will you come on and talk to me for 30 minutes? I'll be like, absolutely, here I am. So the point is, I'm just trying to build this you know, thing so that when the time comes to launch a podcast, then I have a little bit of a platform and like I, I'm working with a publisher, a d- distributor on it. So I can go to them and, and like mutually we come to a, to a deal where like, I realize I have something to say. I have a little bit of an audience. They have a distribution network. So we actually started right from the beginning with sponsorship. You know? And I know not everybody watching can, can do that. But that's why I tell the story of like, it's not just that I'm lucky. Like I, I think I am lucky. I realize that. But I also put in a lot of work over the past 10 years to get to the point of you know, people actually caring to the point where I can start new stuff. Hey, what's up, Dream Builder? Have you been getting any value out of this episode? Would you like to get more exclusive content just like this delivered right to your inbox? If so, head on over to dreamnationpodcast.com and you can sign up for the email list and that will give you access to exclusive content and more interviews just like this that's going to be delivered only to our tribe. So head on over to dreamnationpodcast.com. Let's get back to it. So for somebody else that comes into this and they say, listen, I don't have an audience yet, right? right. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this and I am willing to put in that sweat mm-hmm. equity of anybody yeah. who has, you know, two guests yeah. or, or whatever, right. two listeners, <laughs> I'm there. How do I start to build my tribe? Mm. Because it's taken you 10 years, but I'm sure mm. you've learned a lot in this sure. 10 years of building your tribe. Now, mm-hmm. if you have a mentee, what mm-hmm. are you going to tell them? Is there a three-step process? Is there a formula that they should be looking at? Is there one kind of hack that they could do to at least a get a small win? 
That's great. Yeah. They just need to pray, you know, to the podcast fairy. It's like the podcast fairy will show up. And then like one day you're like, Oh my God, look, look, I got all, you know, all these listeners. No, I think the hack is to care. You know, the hack is to like, is to do everything you care, everything you can to care for the people who pay attention to you, even if it is just those two people. And that's how I like with the blog I started, I had like five subscribers, you know, after like 10 days, you know, of blogging or whatever. And one of them is my grandma, you know, and the other four people that I had spammed, you know, people I went just, Hey, come and read, come and sign up, you know? And I mean, it's, I, I've never had like a big viral moment. It's not like there was one thing that was like, Oh, all of a sudden now people know Chris Gillibo. It was a culmination of like that blog. And I'm going to try to be helpful and put something out that's useful. I wrote a manifesto called a brief guide to rural domination and that got shared a bunch and such. But again, it was all helpful and nothing was for sale, you know, for a long time, for a long time, nothing is for sale. I'm going to, when I do the book tour, I mean, yeah, there's a book, but the book is $14, you know, I'm going to show up and talk to everybody, whether they have the book or not. And I honestly think if you just, if you build this, if, are you in it for the short term or the long term? That's the question. Like if you're in it for the short term, then that's a totally different conversation. We could talk more about like the arbitrage thing and here's the hack and here's what people are doing to like take advantage of a system. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like this fine. It's going to be fun sometimes, but you're not really building a business that like if you actually want to build a business, then that is about relationships. And so you might not actually make a hundred thousand dollars next month or next year or whatever, but if you are invested in those relationships, then that's going to bring you value over time. And it's actually much, much more valuable, I think, than whatever the hack is or the here's how you beat the system. There you have it. I, I love that when you talk about relationships, because just as I was telling you before we hit, you know, record, when I did those those deals in real estate, and I'm still in real estate doing deals, yeah, but nice. it's always about relationships. When people look at how have I been able to get five-star guests on the, on the podcast, and people mm -hmm. ask me that all the time, how are you getting these big names? And it's mm -hmm. like, I'm just trying to build relationships, and I truly do care, just like what you said. And mm -hmm. so there's so many things of what you could do to go the extra mile, but so many mm -hmm. people, they want, and it's, and I get it. And I bring that up because I want them to learn from somebody who's already been a pioneer in the game. And the reason mm. why I say that is because every day when we turn on our smartphones, we're constantly blasted by mm. somebody who looks like they have it all figured out. By yeah. somebody who's written the Lambo and you don't even think <laughs> that part of it, but they got the Lambo and they say, hey, are you looking to quit your job and make $50,000? And so it's like, oh my God. You got so to judge not pay attention to that stuff, man. You got to drown that stuff out because a lot of it is fake. A lot of it's fraudulent. And even if it's not fake or fraudulent, it's just a myth. You know, it's like, it's part of their story that they're doing to commit, to convince you that you're not good enough, but you need to pay them so that you can actually become good enough to eventually rent the Lambo or whatever. So I think you just have to ignore that stuff. Yeah, man. And, and so that's, that's a big deal. So I'm glad that you said that. Talk to me about, was there ever one day, you know, and I'm sure there's been many, but talk to me about one time that you thought like, I'm done with this. <laughs> And you're like, you know what? This. I just want to, I want to go, I want to be done with this. And then mm. how did you overcome that mindset? You know, man, I don't know if I've ever thought I'm done with this. I mean, I think I've, I've thought a lot of times, like here's this challenge, here's this obstacle, here's this, I launched this course and I was really excited about it. I put a lot of work into it and guess what? I launched it and nobody else cared, you know, like nobody bought it. People said it was, people were like, oh, that's a really nice, you know, course that you did. I'm like, did you, did you buy it? Like, nope, just looks cool. You know, which doesn't help you right when you're trying to sell something. Right. So I, I made a lot of stuff, a lot of products that people didn't respond to because I got something wrong about it. Like I was, it wasn't actually helpful in the way that it should have been, or I did, I just didn't communicate properly about it. You know, I've done seven books now and 
you know, two of them have, have done very, very well. A couple of them have done, you know, okay. And then a couple of them that I worked on for a year, you know, not, not so great. And it's not like in retrospect, I can look back and say, oh, here's why this book did better than the other one. But when it's, when it's happening at the time, like you really have no idea. When it's happening at the time, you think this is the thing that I've made that I'm the most proud of. You know, everybody's going to love it. The last one sold X number of copies. So this one's going to sell that and more. You never think it's going to be like much less, you know, right. but, but that happens. And so I don't know. I mean, I've had all these ups and downs and such, but for me, I don't think a lot about the past. I don't think a lot about how, like whether it's a success or a failure. I don't really want to, I don't live off of that. Right. If it's a success, I don't want to live off of it because then you're just, it's all nostalgia. It's all like, like who cares what you did last year? You know? Right. I don't even talk very much anymore about like the going to every country in the world thing because it's been a while. I don't want to like live in that. And it, but if it's a failure also, like if you just stay in the failure, you're going to be stuck. So for me, I'm always like, what's next? What's next? You know, what, how can I improve day to day with the gifts that I've been given with the, whoever I have access to and whatever talent I have, you know, that 1% that's within my control, like I talked about earlier, how can I keep improving? That's what I think about. I love it. Was there a time where you ever felt that like now my wheels are are spinning? Did you feel like, listen, and you didn't want to bask in it, but at one point did you feel like, look, I like I got this thing. Like like oh, I'm I, the I, man. Dude, I never try to think like that. I think that's a mistake, you know? It's like when a, a politician loses their election once they start taking things for granted, you know? Mm. Like the politicians that are... I don't want to be a politician, but like it's just an example of like... I want to be the person that's like fighting for every vote. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it doesn't matter if I'm 15 points up, I want to be working just as hard, you know, as if I was the underdog. So um, I have never thought I have, I have made it. You know, there's always, there's always like, there's always something else you can do or improve. I love it. I love it. Always staying hungry, right? Yeah. Always staying hungry, always staying motivated, finding mm -hmm. one little piece to let you know that there's a mm -hmm. way that you can improve on it. Mm -hmm. How much of this would you say? Because your mindset right now is definitely one of somebody who's noble, right? And and somebody who is realistic is what mm -hmm. I love to think about, right? But at what point did you ever have a mentor? Did you have somebody or was your mindset always like this? Because mm -hmm. a lot of people right now, they're struggling and mentorship has been the big thing over the last year, two years. Mm -hmm. I need somebody to help me. I need a yeah. mentor. Chris, will you coach me? Do you, yeah. did you ever start out that way? Did you have one person that really helped mm -hmm. you and challenged your mindset to now you're at this spot in life? Well, I want to be careful how I answer the question because there's a lot of people that have helped me. And so like I've learned from a lot of people, you know, whether it's, you know, authors and like people online, but more just like regular people in my life or like other aid workers that I worked with in Africa. And like, they don't have, you know, social media, you know, huge followings or anything. Uh, they're just like, you know, changing the world and like serving and such. So I, I've learned from a lot of people, but a big part of my, my message is about self-reliance. And I think a lot of people are, are looking, they look sometimes to, you know, to somebody to tell them what to do when they already know what they need to do. Or they like, they're just afraid to do it. They're looking for somebody else to give them permission. You know, it's like a lot of people that go on Shark Tank or whatever. They're like, like they're, they're hoping that somebody will, it's not just about the check. It's like they want Mark Cuban or whoever to say like, yes, you can go and start your business and like go for this. And they don't need that. You know, like they can, you can do this on your own. Like there, there are a lot of answers that you can figure out, you know, whether it's something technical or I know something else. Like, I don't think you need somebody who's like always telling you like, here's how, here's how you find your path. I think most of us find our path by going down different paths, 
you know, mm. and you might make some mistakes. That's okay. Right. If you don't make mistakes, like if you're achieving a hundred percent of what you're trying to, to accomplish, then I think your goals are too small. Right. Like your goal is like, I'm going to walk down and get the mail today and come back. Like, okay, I did it hundred percent success. Well, you need to have a better goal than that. And that's huge because just like you said, a lot of us, we already know what to do because we've been living this life. We've we've had other mentors, whether it was our parents, whether it was teachers or somebody Mm -hmm. who's kind of tried to help put us on the right, you know, straight and narrow Mm -hmm. path. And they've given us some of their wisdom. But yet, even though we know better, we don't do Mm -hmm. better. And a lot Mm -hmm. of the times it just comes down to discipline. Yeah. Right. And so for you, I wanted to ask, what is your because. You said, hey, I made this a goal. This is how mm-hmm. I'm going to stand out. And now for 1,200 and some odd days, you've committed to that goal and still staying true to it. What's mm. that tip for discipline? How do you stay disciplined okay. and committed enough to, to finish things out like this? Okay, so two tips. The first thing is I think that the number one thing you can do to be productive and disciplined is to be doing something that you actually want to do because it's really hard to like just motivate yourself and be like, suck it up, you know, one more, one more day, I'm going to keep going. Like you can do that for a time, but that's very discouraging. In the long term, like we're, we're motivated to do work that we believe in, to do something that we, we care about. So I would spend a lot of time on the front end trying to figure out what that thing is. And then that's, that motivation itself is very powerful. But then second, like once you start building a habit, if you build it for enough time, and I don't know if it's like the 21 day thing or 30 days or however long after, after a while, it becomes easier to, to keep it going than it is to break it. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's going to be harder for you to stop doing something than it is to keep doing it. So like with my like Apple watch, I got this streak going for like more than a year now. Every day I'm getting my steps and my workout and stuff. And like, I don't want to stop. I got, like for me to stop it, it would be harder than to just, okay, it's 8 PM and I haven't, you know, ran today or haven't done any exercise. I got to get out and do it. So a streak, a streak can be really powerful and it's hard in the beginnings. It's a new habit, but whatever it is that you're trying to do, if you're trying to like eat healthier or something, I don't know, like the longer that you do it, the easier it's going to be to keep doing that thing. Got it. That, that's right there. Two key points. And it reminds me of the book uh, by James Clear, Atomic Habits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he he talks about that a lot. And just finding small wins, right? It's it, mm. You can't eat the whole elephant in, in mm-hmm. one bite. You got to take small bites. But if you start out with five steps, 10 steps, and then you get up to 1,000 steps, 5,000 mm-hmm. steps a day, right. after that's that, right. you know, you almost feel like you're letting yourself down. Along your journey, mm. Has, has there been, has it always kind of worked out where it just felt like you, there's been a lot of luck involved or have you had times where you felt like maybe I do need to go back and get a job? I think it would be like a terrible thing for me to get a, like if I was to get a job or even try to get a job, let's say, cause I can't, I wouldn't even assume I could get a job, like a good, a good one. What, what kind of job would I do? Like I'm, I'm, I'm 42. I've been working for myself since I was 19. Like I've never been in a corporate environment. I, I don't like to listen to people tell me what to do. You know, I have ADD. I, I'm really good at doing stuff that I care about. If, I'm, if I believe in it, I will give 120%. Like I will work harder than anybody that I know. But if I don't believe in it, it's like 20%. And so that's pretty difficult in most you know, corporate environments, right? Because you don't get to choose like, here's everything that you do, like stuff that you just have to do because that's how it works. So I, I mean... Honestly, I think I'm not, you you talked about risks earlier, but I think I'm living a pretty conservative life in that way, right? In that particular way, because, you know, it would be pretty risky for me to be like, what can I, how can I write a resume and post it on LinkedIn and hope that somebody notices me? Like that would be a gamble, 
right? right? Whereas I think investing in yourself and like, what, what is it that I can do next, you know, for me? I think that's much, much the safer choice. Got it. Well, there you have it. I love that part too. <laughs> now, the, the, the next thing is you wrote the book, The Money Tree, mm. right? Because you said, you mentioned earlier, a lot of people are in student loan debt. Yeah. Right. And they've now gotten laid off of these jobs. Right. They just exactly. got all of this debt to get. Yep. Right. And so now, how do you advise people without mm. being a financial advisor? Sure, sure. Is there a couple like steps of what you tell people all the time to get their finances in order so then they can have more risk tolerance to mm. go out there and, and bet on themselves? Well, I think like the number one thing they need to do is earn more money. I think it's not about getting your house in order or like saving money. And I mean, saving money is not going to help you if you have a below average income or even an average income and you have a lot of debt. Like you can, you can be frugal, but that's not going to get you out of that situation that you're in. Like ultimately you're going to have to make more money. That is the, that is the number one thing that you have to do. And so if you accept that as a principle, then the next question is, okay, well, how are you going to do it? Well, you know, if you're already working a lot or maybe you're already driving for Uber or something like that, it's not going to actually get you out of that situation. So you're going to have to find a way to create something for yourself, which I realize might sound a little bit daunting, but like we've been talking about in this conversation, I think it actually is an opportunity for people. And I think people can do better, you know, on their own by, by finding a way to buy and sell something, by starting a little service, by figuring out how to create a product. I mean, that is, uh, that is like the number one and number two things they need to do because I feel like people get caught up in like, Oh, I'm not going to buy my coffee today. And you know, and I'm going to save that $3 and then like going to put it toward my debt, which is $60,000. And like, you know, <laughs> one day, I mean, however many coffees that is later, uh, it's just not, it's not going to work. So I think you should buy whatever coffee you want and figure out how to make more money to pay for that and get out of debt and, you know, so on. Got it. I love it. And that's what we talk when people ask me all the time, like, should they pay off all their debt first or should mm. they start investing first? For real mm. estate, I always say, make sure you start investing first mm. because if you buy the property right and you can create some cash flow out of that, then yeah. you can use that cash flow to then pay down your debt. And then you're mm. also getting appreciation and everything yeah, else. Yeah, so yeah, exactly. I, I love that you brought that part up. Was there, has there been one, because you say you're not auditorial, uh, so you don't listen to a lot mm. of things. Is Do you, do you read a lot? Do you, are you a big yeah. YouTuber? You, where do you get all to, of your knowledge and your insight, especially uh, I, for sourcing content? Sure. I mean, I tend to read a lot. Yeah. I mean, I do a few different things. I mean, I watch videos. I do listen to some stuff, but I, I read a lot. I have, I have a lot of friends and, and people in my community. When I mean, you talked about being inspired and like mentors, I don't really have mentors, but like the people that are in my community, like I, I regularly feel inspired by them. And so I get a lot of emails from people. And when I'm able to tour, like right now I'm not, of course, but like when I'm able to go out and you know, for this, for this book, I was going to do 40 cities. I was going to be all across North America for probably about two months, you know, every night talking to, you know, a group of a hundred, 200 people or whatever. And like, I always go away from that feeling really like energized and also like, Oh man, I had this conversation with this guy that actually makes me think a little bit differently about how I'm going to write my next book or the next talk or something. So it's a process of like co-creation in that way. Got it. All right. Now, but there's not one, who's your favorite author? You said you read a lot. Who's your favorite I, author? Uh, I mean, I read mostly fiction. I don't read a lot of like nonfiction business books because I, because I, I'm an, I'm a business author. So I don't, I don't want to read a lot of other people in my space. Like a lot of them are my friends like, and they doing, they're all doing good work. It's not a criticism. I just, I want to be kind of informed by my own perspective with that. Got it. Cool. Mm -hmm. Well, hey, man, I, this has been a phenomenal episode. And, and I think that it's been 
just amazing to have you on the show. And I think people have gotten a lot of value out of this. I hope they, they have. Awesome. There's still somebody out there though, that's maybe in your same situation, but they're mm-hmm. saying that, Hey, I don't have that audience. I don't cool. have, you know, the publisher. I'm not sure. smart enough. I don't have enough resources. What's the one thing that you say to that person to get them to just take action? I think what you just said, like they just have to take, actually have to do something. Don't worry about the audience. Don't worry about the publisher. What is the thing that you can do right now? Like on, on the podcast, I mean, I've got 1200 episodes, you know, 1200 examples essentially of people that have done different stuff. So I would say, listen to some of that. It's all free, you know, listen to some of that stuff. And you're not going to connect with every story or every episode, but the point is to like find the ones that you do connect with and like, Oh, this is interesting. This guy, you know, he got a drone and started doing drone photography for real estate agents. Actually. I mean, you, that's like a big, big market right now, especially right. for like high, high end, you know, properties and such. This guy's doing really, really well with that. This other woman just talked to, she was doing like virtual meditation circles on zoom, you know, right now. And she's got a subscription, you know, thing that people pay 20 bucks a month for. And I, I forget how many she's got signed up now, but she's making him two to three thousand dollars a month on the side with it. There, there is something out there that you can do, and so I would say, you know, take action. As you said, don't worry about spending money. You know, any any idea that costs a lot of money, just discard that one because the ideas are everywhere. You can find another idea that doesn't cost money, and ask yourself what the first step is. And then, you know, if you really can't take that step, I would say stop listening to podcasts and stop reading books and and start and just start doing what you need to do before you before you do more research because sometimes research is like a way to just kind of put things off. Yeah, it becomes, yeah, paralysis of analysis because you're, yeah. just like you said, you're hearing so many different perspectives and then it just gets yeah. you stopped in your tracks. Yeah. So this has been great, man. We're going to make sure that we put links in the show notes for the Money Tree book, also for Thank the you. School of Side Hustle podcast and also for your website. But for anybody cool. else that just wants to stay connected with you, where is the best place to reach out to you at? Yeah, man. Thanks. So the podcast is at sidehustleschool.com. The new book, you can go to moneytreebook.com or I am Chris Gillibo on most social media. It's uh, 193 countries on Instagram. So 193 countries. Wow. There you have it. Well, remember Dream Nation, you must take action just like he said. And if you are right now suffering from paralysis of analysis, maybe it is time for you to cut everything off and just Really do some soul searching on what does it take for you to have at least your first step so then you can get a small win and build off of there. But remember, even though it's in the dream we trust, we must take action. Otherwise, it'll only merely be a fantasy. We'll see you on the next one. That's the episode for today. Let me know if you got any value out of this. If you liked anything about it, reach out to me on Instagram or Twitter, any of the social media networks. And Of course, leave me a review, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you're hearing this at. I would love to have a review to show, you know, what you're getting out of this. Is there anything that I could do better? Is there any way that I can add more value to you? So hopefully you all take some action today. That's my show. I love you all. Be great. But remember, we must take action. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then 
Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.